With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Justin and I went live after game two uh, of Cavs-Knicks from the Cavaliers facility, which means we didn't have all our bells and whistles. We just we just basically popped up an iPad and went live on YouTube. So uh, decided to go ahead and post the audio uh, on the audio feed. So if you notice the quality isn't exactly as, uh, as, as crisp it normally is, it's because we're just talking into an iPad. But just figured more content is better than less and, uh, and hope you guys enjoy our immediate reactions to game two of Cavs next. Sexton trying to get loose, he'll fire. Garland upstairs. Oh! Sexton inside! Oh. A thunderous dunk! And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Chase Down is presented by Fubo TV. Watch over 100 channels of live sports and TV for at the cost of cable. There's no contract and no commitment. Try for free at FuboTV.com. We are coming live uh, from the Cavs facility. We're, We're in the front office, baby. <laughs> making decisions, wheeling and dealing. And we figured we'd give some quick thoughts uh, about this game. Obviously, a dominant Cavs win. One that was needed. Uh, I was going to get more of these gray hairs uh, <laughs> if the game to start things off would be with Darius Garland, who got the first ever Cavs playoff junkyard dog chain and was just dominant throughout this game. It's a beefy chain, Justin. <laughs> it's a real beefy chain. And uh, and I, I, I certainly hope that uh, I hope the uh, audio is OK. We're literally on an iPad. Uh, this is not our normal setup. But yeah, I mean, D- Darius was amazing. And after a really, really rough game one, like I, I thought he played a, a bad game, mm-hmm. uh, frankly. One assist, no rebounds, um, only took four threes. It just wasn't the Darius this team needs. And we talked pregame when we had Danny Cunningham on about how, like, listen, like, none of this really works unless the Cavs' top four guys are good. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and you know, often they're going to need to be great. Yeah. And the fact that they kind of were able to, uh, you know, that Darius was able to answer. And, and, and it, the Knicks were no less physical with yeah. him. Um, but, you know, on ball, he was just attacking – um, you know, taking every three when he had a sliver of space. And when you do that, things open up. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he was able to attack. He was able to to dish, though I think he was primarily a scorer tonight. Donovan yeah. was the assist leader on the team. And, uh, man, it, it was just really fun to see and really vindicating. I mean, we talked before the series about how I felt like Darius could be a household name uh, after, you know, playing the Knicks uh, in his first playoff series. And after the first game, he certainly was not looking like that. So the fact that he got there um, uh, tonight and won them a game uh, as the far and away best player on the floor, it was pretty fun, Justin. It, it was a lot of fun. And, I mean, that's the, the whole reason why we talk about Garland so much, right? Like, we hold him to a really high standard on this podcast because we know that he can elevate his game to this level. And one of the things we talked about prior to the series was if – Darius Garland is going to play at the level or outplay Jalen Brunson. It's going to make things a whole lot easier for the Cavs. And um, I think the dynamic you want to see between both Garland and Mitchell is that if they're cheating over and if they're trapping and they're trying to take one of them away, the other one needs to be assertive. The other one needs to score in a way that causes the defense to, to bend. And I think you saw Donovan kind of recognizing what's there, taking advantage of it. His playmaking was fantastic throughout the night, and Garland's playmaking was good as well. They were just feeding off of each other very, very well, and this is what you want to see. This is what an actualized version of the Cavs looks like, and I tweeted it out. The Cavs are the team we saw in game one. 
that made a lot of mistakes, had warts, um, you know, left a lot of food on the table. And they're also this team full of killers that, you know, took everything away from the Knicks. The Knicks, their offense was gummed up. They weren't able to get into what they wanted to get into. And that's the reality of dealing with a young team. They are as good as they are when they're at their best. And they're as bad as they are when they're at their worst. Like, you're going to have to ride some of these ebbs and flows throughout the series. Um, I, I just think for the Cavs to face their real, their first real taste of, of playoff adversity in game one and respond in the way in, they did in game two. I, I think that's really something that should be commended. Yeah, I, and I think we the next thing to talk about is the defense. Um, yeah. You know, we talked pregame about whether you really want to make significant structural changes to a defense that held uh, the number five offense. They were number five? Uh, yeah, four so or five. For whatever it top may five. be. Top five. Whatever it may be. <laughs> a, a top offense in the league, you held them to 101 points um, and, and you know, had some really ugly stretches in game one. So you go, do you really want to change that much? And they did. Um, I thought they really did a lot of um, late trapping. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I feel like those are the kinds of schematic changes that are super fun because it's not like they just said okay we're just gonna blitz every Jalen Bronson pick and roll um until they figure it out they didn't do that yeah uh, they, they hard hedge sometimes they switch sometimes uh sometimes they fought over um and maintained connection uh but but once Brunson or Randall who neither of whom are elite passers yep. um Brunson's a good passer Randall's not to mm-hmm. be frank once they did overcommit and overpenetrate, that's when the Cavs kind of, you know, attacked like a viper. You know, they they, they had they, they started throwing two or three guys um, in their sight line with hard doubles, with active hands, and with their fourth and fifth guys that were not right on the ball playing passing lines. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, Justin, the Knicks had 70 points with six minutes left in the game. That's, <laughs> that's, some, that's some 1994 uh basketball right there and like that's what you want that's like like the Cavs did not have to have an insane offensive game you know they scored 10 more points yeah uh, than they did in game one um but it's not like they were you know it's not like Donovan only had 15 points I think yeah um it's 107 points for the Cavs like and they won this game on the defensive end of the end of the ball yeah and the variety of looks that they threw at Brunson I thought was really important and we talked about it prior to the series. If you are able to disrupt Brunson and you're able to take things away from him, and uh, one of the things you mentioned uh, I thought was smart as well is when you switch with Mobley, Brunson's going to kind of try to hunt that, right? And he's going to try to take advantage of Mobley one-on-one, and those advantages really aren't there. I thought Evan Mobley, even though the offense was an outstanding tonight, the defense was. And when Brunson's breaking the Knicks offense, trying to hunt them, what he perceives to be a mismatch or uh, some sort of advantage there uh, with that switch, it makes it really hard for everybody else to get going. And I certainly expect some of the Knicks role guys to play better uh, at Madison Square Garden. That's what you typically see in the playoffs is role players do play better at home. But for the most part, what the Cavs were doing defensively seemed sustainable. And the Knicks have been a team that throughout the season they don't generate great offense, but they do generate those extra possessions. They get the offensive rebounds, and they make some tough shots as well. And I, I thought we saw some tough shot making from the Knicks. Um, I, I do expect a, a better effort out of them in Game 3, but the Cavs' defense was absolutely the story. And 
we have to give credit not only to the adjustments that JB made uh, to, to throw a lot of looks at Brunson. I think we also have to give credit to the individual performances. I thought one of the loudest moments of the night was Darius Garland locking up RJ Barrett and forcing a turnover. And, I believe, and Emmanuel quickly at the end of the first half. Yeah, and Emmanuel quickly. Garland's, I mean, as much as his offense is going to get a lot of attention, the growth that he's shown on defense throughout the year really came through in this game. And I, I think you saw why he, he's been credited for rounding out his game and becoming a more complete player. And, and the other guy, I think, deserves a lot of credit for his effort on the defensive end was Karis LeVert. I thought he had a maybe the best Maybe the best isolation defense he's played in his career. It's up there. I'm, I mean, I, in terms of two-way games, given the the, uh, the stage that they were on uh, with this game, I, I thought this was a massive, massive performance for Karis LeVert. And um, just having another playmaker out there makes such a big difference as well. And I know J.B. Bickerstaff spoke after the game and said the decision to not play Isaac Okoro after that initial uh, shift isn't a long-term decision and that they respect uh, what, what he's done this year. And I think there's still a, a role for Okoro, but at the same time, I, I think they did find something in, in terms of, of Karis LeVert, the minutes that he did when he plays this well, it's hard to keep him off of the court. And I also thought that they found something with Danny Green because as much as we've talked about his ability uh, to move laterally defensively, I thought sticking him on R.J. Barrett or Julius Randle, uh, guys that aren't really going to break him down off the dribble, w was a smart adjustment. And the other thing that he brings to the table that we haven't talked about a whole lot is he's a strong rebounder. Like, he, he's going to put a body on guys. He's going to box out. And that's not something that he needs to have vintage Danny Green mobility to, to perform well in that area. Yeah, I, I want to talk about Danny Green. But first, I do want to talk about gang rebounding because yep. that's the other part of the defensive uh, the defensive puzzle here. Uh, the Cavs out-rebounded the Knicks by 7, 43-36 in this game. And again, you don't have to have crazy totals if everyone's chipping in. Mobley had 13, Allen had 10. Great, that's 23. Um, Garland had 3. Mm -hmm. uh, Mitchell only had 2. But Danny Green had 4. Jetty Osmond had 6. And Karras had 4. And all of those are on the defensive end, with the exception of uh, one offensive board for Mitchell. So, like, just cleaning the last ending possessions. And, and not every end of possession is going to be clean when a team has a strength advantage on you. That's fine. I don't really care how we get up the mountain here. Yeah. As long as they are kind of doing what they need to do, which is just, you know, just securing the ball, scrambling. And, you know, they didn't need to get a ton of buckets in transition because of the fact that they were just throttling this Knicks team. Yeah. So just gang rebound, and like that's part of the reason why I like Danny Green. The other thing schematically defensively I want to talk about is the way they switched. Mm -hmm. um, I really like to see them, when they had the two bigs on the floor, loved the way they would, they would be a little more eager to switch uh, Mobley out onto Brunson. Yeah. Because you still have that back line. You don't need to do all this you know, crazy chicanery to, to hard hedge and, and scram around. Like you can just switch it, it's fine. Yeah. Because because Allen's there to protect you. And then when they were playing with one big, they often did that. Only a very short stretch did they have Danny Green on the floor uh, at the four trying to guard Julius Randle. Yeah. But they often had Mobley sitting when Randle was sitting or Allen sitting while Randle was sitting. Mm -hmm. And they really said, Isaiah Hardenstein, you're a good player, but if you're going to kill us on switches on Karis LeVert, 
that's fine. Yeah, we're, we'll live with that. We'll, you know, we'll challenge you. We'll, we'll, we'll dig down. And you're not used to doing this. Yeah. Um, and, and I felt like that was really the emblematic of the larger Cavs game plan, which is like, we're just going to make you do more stuff around the perimeter of, of Brunson and Randall shot making that you're just not used to doing. There was a play where uh, Mitch Robinson caught the ball in the short roll at the free throw line with no one in front of him. Yeah. And he was like, I'm not going to dribble though. No. no. <laughs> and he there, there was no thought. Yeah. Of dribbling that yeah. Ball. There was no, there was a lot of short circuiting uh, for New York. And you know, I, I, I imagine those are some spots where they can build counters, but they did do a much better job of just like the Knicks did in game one of saying, we know that Bronson wants to get to that, get to that left wing mm-hmm. and, and take that step back. So we're going to deny that you're going to yeah. have to take harder shots. You're going to have to drive into the teeth of the defense. And we're going to see what Mitchell Robinson's comfortable doing yeah. when he has the ball with an advantage. Cause we bet it's not much. Yeah. And, and I also thought uh, they did a good job when they did switch. If Hardenstein is trying to post up Karis LeVert or he's getting the ball, they did a good job staying home and jamming up cutters and, and taking away the pass. Because that's what he wants to do. Because he's such a pass-first player. So uh, I thought that that was a, a really good game plan. And um, obviously, as you said, that's probably something that we're going to see Tip try to make adjustments and try to make some counters there. But overall, I thought that it was a sustainable defensive game plan. And it's very similar to what we said after game one for the Cavs, right? Where we needed some of those role players to step up and make plays to alleviate things and open things up for the core. The Knicks are now going to need to have that same thing, right? Like you're, they're probably going to need to have those bigs make some plays and force the cast to, to get out of what they were doing defensively because uh, that's the beauty of playoff basketball, right? You make an adjustment until the other team makes the, the counter adjustment and finds ways that to force you out of that, you can stick with it. Another adjustment that I really wanted to hit on, and I know we have to talk about Danny Green, and we're not going to go much longer. We're going to have a, a more thorough podcast Thursday yeah. night. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll be back Thursday night, and then we will be doing post-game podcasts. I'm, I'm flying back to Canada. Uh, everyone that wants me out of their country will get their wish tomorrow. Don't you worry. God, I can wait. <laughs> um, but one uh, other adjustment I really wanted to hit on is I love the way they guarded Randall tonight. Oh. Randall is, you know, he even though he has looked really spry in certain spots. He is not 100% healthy. And they made him a driver tonight. And when Randall drives, especially against the two big lineup, they can swarm and present him with length. He's not super comfortable finishing over. Mm -hmm. Like if you just straight up ISO him, sure, he can barrel through and generate an angle. But when Jared Allen is digging down uh, or, or Karis LeVert's coming in from the perimeter, it's a lot harder for him. And I thought in game one, he took some hard shots. But he got to his spots, even with Evan guarding him. Evan kind of played him almost like a normal player that he would guard in isolation, which is, I'm going to give you a little bit of pad because I'm super long and I'm not super strong, so I want to be able to kind of take that hit and and stay in. This time I thought both him and Danny Green said, we're actually going to make you drive on us. You're not even going to get a clean look up. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that really set the tone for how Randall attacked because he just couldn't get those clean, easy shots whenever he wanted. Uh, I mean, I'd need to pull up the stats, but I just feel like he did not get a ton of those jumpers. And obviously he missed some, which helps, but like he went three of seven from three, but he did not kill them for mid range. He did not kill them at the line. Um, And I I thought they just, they, they played him with a much better scout than they did in game one. 
Yeah, and the help was there as well, right? Like when when he does drive, guys were digging in. Because he's not a great passer. Exactly. Force him to make those decisions in high-leverage situations. One assist, six turnovers tonight. Oh, see, that's what you want to see. And and Danny Green uh, got his hand in there a couple times. Darius Garland got his hand in there a couple times. Karis LeVert. Force him to make those decisions to those those digs, right? And and, uh, I, I think that that is something that... You want to see. You want to see him beat you there. And honestly, I, I think you live with it. Like, I, I think you live with Julius Randle getting a triple-double with assists, right? If if you're able to take away his jumper where he's not fully comfortable and there's length on him, I, I, again, I, I thought Mobley did a great job individually, but that team defense, the, the help that's there, I just I, I don't know if he's going to be able to do that four out of seven games. Yeah, I mean, it, it is... He has limitations as a player. He is a fringe all all NBA player. Yeah, I don't want to disrespect the guy, but yeah. uh, you know we saw the Hawks really mess with him two years ago, and of course he has more help this time. But ultimately, like you, you just you, there are there are things you can attack with him, and his yeah. playmaking is the number one thing that I think you want to attack. Now let's talk about Danny Green. Yeah. I wanted him in the lineup. He went one of two from three. Four rebounds. I think he got a st- two steals. That that foot on the sideline broke my heart. Oh, God, that, that, was that was such a moment. That was so moment. cash. However, um, you know, he got minutes and he did kind of what I thought he would do. Um, mm-hmm. They stashed him on uh, non threats or non athletes. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wouldn't dare call Randall a non threat, but <laughs> um, uh, but he was disruptive enough uh, off ball. Um, the Knicks certainly didn't go out of their way to get switches with yep. him. Um, and the the one time I think Brunson went at him in transition, he actually forced a miss, just kind of moving his feet, staying with him. Yep. Does he is he getting fifteen twenty minutes a game the rest of the series? I think he might. I, I would expect the Knicks to try to test him a little more defensively in Game Three, um, similar to how the Cavs got Brunson in a lot of actions. Right? Like I think part of Brunson's offensive performance was they were testing him a whole lot more on defense, and that's one of the advantages of having Danny Green and Karis LeVert out there. You can have his man screen. You can really force Brunson to move around, and I expect the Knicks to make that adjustment and try to test Danny Green in those ways, but. That's another one of those things where unless they're able to prove that they're able to get him off the court, I do think he needs to, to keep getting minutes. And obviously he replaced Dean Wade uh, in the rotation. And um, I, it just it felt good. And you could tell the crowd was very excited to see Danny Green out It's there. a crowd that knows ball, It's Justin. a crowd that knows ball. Because it's not like Danny Green's done that much for the Cavs this season. Yep. I don't think a lot of these crowd members remember his rookie year. <laughs> No, they don't. And, and but also like just the, the way the crowd reacts. I love what the crowd reacts to. Right? Oh, like, yeah. It's it's always smart basketball plays. They love a trap. It's the, um, the, they were going. I I think one of the loudest moments of the game was when Darius locked up quickly. Oh, w- without a doubt. Yeah. It, like everyone just appreciates that effort. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when you're getting two way play out of Darius, when you're getting two way play out of Karis Levert. It makes things a whole lot harder for the Knicks. And, and honestly, the Knicks haven't had a good offensive game yet in this series, right? Like, they won game one off of those offensive rebounds. But the, the field goal percentage, the efficiency has not been there for them. And I obviously, the Cavs needed to get this one. Even though you could, in theory, win uh, a couple games and, and stretch this out and maybe reclaim home court at some point, realistically, you needed to win one of these two games. And now you go to New York, where the Knicks have been one of the worst 
home teams in the playoffs. They, they still have a winning record, but uh, they've been around a 500 team. And uh, the Cavs have played nothing but close games there. So I, I, I think it's encouraging. And if they're able to, you know, win one of those in New York, or I mean, knock on wood, but maybe two, you never know. Um, that that would feel really good. And just coming back to Cleveland for game five with, with home court, I, I think would be a massive accomplishment. Yeah, I, I think obviously um, you got you got to snag one in the garden. I think that the nature of this win was really important. Um, I think if they limp to a win, they win by two or three and New York kind of controls the, the physicality game. Yeah. You know, like if they won, if, if they had won game one, you know, like in that sort of, you know, uh, paradigm, I think MSG is coming in like, like sharks. Yeah. Like I'm not saying they're going to come in cold or scared now, but it is a different tone when you figure some stuff out and run a team off the floor yeah. uh, in game two. Um, and I think you really yeah. want to throw the first punch in game three because the, the next crowd is going to be loud. We, we know Madison Square Garden is going to be a fantastic environment. That's one of those spots where I wouldn't be surprised to, to see Donovan Mitchell just go out and, and win a game on the road. Yeah, I mean, they, I think they're going to need him too. Um, but yeah. just, you know, because of, we know how shooting splits go with role players on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the nice thing is they don't need Karras to do this to win. They need Karras to do this to, to absolutely run the Knicks off the floor. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I think that ultimately you got you got to snag one, even the series back up. Um, uh, and I think it starts right in game three. Like if you win game three, then uh, beyond the obvious that you're up 2-1, so you have control of the series. <laughs> Um, but this, you, this is the announcement. Yeah, we I for. know, buddy. But uh, you know, I think you also kind of retake emotional control of the series of like, uh, yeah, that game one, that was a fluke. We're gonna, you know, like, we see this all the time. Yeah. Um, uh, where, because again, I still think the Cavs are more talented than the Knicks. Yeah. Um, I, I I feel that now. I'll feel that even if the Cavs lose this series. Yeah. Um, and no, like, I, I think that yeah. I think that would be true, right? Like yeah. you would say, oh, well, this is a disappointing setback. This is a, a playoff failure. But you know, uh, you, you have to feel good about the talent. And I I mean, I'm, my confidence has shot right back up because yeah. this is now taking the shape that we thought. I wanted to see them answer some stuff. Yeah. Like, I think if they did slog through a game, too, it would have felt kind of like, uh, you know, it may, I, I was thinking about, you know, the, the infamous Magic Cavs series uh, where if it took that LeBron game winner just to keep it competitive. Yeah. And you go, I don't, I mean, we won, but it doesn't feel that great yeah. about the nature of how we won. Like, coming back and answering and solving some stuff, um, yeah. uh, you know, and, and putting the onus back on the Knicks staff to, to counterpunch. Yep. Uh, just feels really, really important. Yeah, and when I said Cavs in six, I, I said there was going to be a game in this series that the Cavs probably gave away. There's going to be a game that the Cavs win, but in the end, you would think that Talent wins out. And uh, the, the game we said we were most confident about was game two. And obviously, that confidence goes out the window when you witness a loss, but I mean, it has followed that script. And I think JB deserves a ton of credit uh, for this win. Uh, I think. The, from leadership standpoint as well, you know, Donovan Mitchell being there to, to get into guys' ears, I'm sure that played a massive role in, in this game. And as I said uh, from the top, Darius Garland stepping up in the way he did because we, we always talk about how Mobley's ascension is going to take the cast to the next level. But when Garland is this assertive, when, when he is recognizing that he can be one of the best point guards in the game and playing like a franchise player, that opens up so much. It, it's the tie that raises all boats. I really can he feel... He is the engine. 
when the Cavs are at their best, I really feel like Garland is playing a major, major role. So he deserves a, a ton of credit. And uh, we, we still haven't even seen a great Evan Mobley game offensively. But I thought as the game kind of went on, he found a few of his spots. He was assertive. I love that that step back he hit in the lane over Randall. Uh, he was taking better shots, I thought, than game one. I, I only expect him to continue to get better as the series progresses and as he continues to get more comfortable. Well, Justin, uh, Edward in the chat made fun of me for yawning, which if he really, if you watch the chase down, you know I yawn four times a pod. Yeah. But it is indeed like that, That's part of why he never looks at the camera to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a, I'm a sleepy guy. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, we should probably wrap it up. It is Carter's bedtime. So big thanks to everyone that stayed up, uh, yawning away, listening to us. Uh, hopefully you guys don't yawn as much as Carter. Uh, we really do appreciate all the support, all, all the love. Um, it's I, nice being in Cleveland, buddy. Oh, it's so nice being in the city. I love it. Uh, I got my uh, pregame meal in at Mabel. Shout out Mabel's. Uh, I, I needed that brisket before I left town, but uh, it, it hurts to, to go back to Winnipeg. Le- leave with the meat sweats, buddy. Leave with the meat sweats. It, it hurts to leave Cleveland, but it, it's been a, a fantastic trip. And a big thanks to everybody that, that helped make this happen as well. And, and that includes you guys uh, that tune in, that support us the way that you do. Uh, it really does mean a lot. We appreciate the support. Uh, so if you're watching live on YouTube, make sure you like and subscribe. Click that notification bell so you know when we're going live. As I said, we will be going live on Thursday. Uh, our return to podcast only. Uh, I, I feel guilty for abandoning uh, those people at that time. But uh, after that, we will be going live post game for every single game of this series and every game of the playoffs. So uh, very excited to continue to break down Cavs playoff basketball. And until next time, go Cavs.